0: So hello and welcome to the first podcast in a new series of podcasts, basically introducing concepts in anesthesia. Um, I'm very pleased today to be joined by um, Shireen. Um, Welcome. Hello. Thank Um, you. Who's going to be talking us through in this podcast some of the most common drugs that are used um, in anesthesia. So over to you, Shireen. Thank you. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the drugs that we'd use preoperatively, intraoperatively, and postoperatively. Okay, so first of all, we're going to talk about the induction of anaesthesia and what goes on in the anaesthetic room. So when a patient comes into the anaesthetic room, there's typically an anaesthetist in there and an ODA or an operating department assistant. It is very important for us to have a blood pressure cuff on, ECG leads and oxygen saturations as many of the anaesthetic agents used can affect the um, cardiovascular system. So we typically put a cannula in the back of the patient's hand, pre-oxygenate them and then we can give them the induction drugs. The most common um, drug used to induce anesthesia is propofol. Propofol is a non-barbiturate agent, which no one really knows how it works, but it does give you a very smooth and rapid induction. It is commonly used with an opiate such as fentanyl, which will increase the sedative effect and also um, provide some analgesia. The major side effect with propofol is that it can reduce vascular tone, thereby reducing systemic vascular resistance and central venous pressures and can therefore affect cardiac output and blood pressure. So, as I said, it's very important for us to monitor a patient's blood pressure um, having given them propofol. It's typically metabolized by the liver, but it's also um, thought to be taken up by um, fat, fat tissue and muscles. One thing to note in terms of patient comfort is propofol stings very much as it goes up the patient's arm. So the the best way to avoid this is to pick a big vein to to give the propofol in and to also inject maybe a couple of mils of lidocaine into the syringe to prevent the stinging. Another drug which um, can be used for um, the induction of anaesthesia is thiopentone. This is a classic drug used in rapid sequence inductions. Now, rapid sequence inductions are beyond the scope of this lecture, but I will be covering it in in a future lecture. This drug is a short-acting barbiturate, um, which again, it's broken down by being redistributed into fat tissue and and muscles. It's thought to be quite a dirty drug, causing post-op nausea and somnolence, and hence it's it's not really used and has been replaced by propofol. Sevoflurane is an anesthetic vapor, so this is commonly used in pediatric anesthesia, where it may be difficult to find a vein or to um, to calm calm a crying child down to be able to cannulate them. So it's a lot easier just to give them some sevoflurane gas to um, induce anesthesia. Okay, so now we're going to move on to muscle paralysis. So basically, just quickly covering the background of the neuromuscular junction. Okay, so basically when an impulse um, arrives at the neuromuscular junction, this causes um, acetylcholine release from the presynaptic terminal. It crosses over and binds to the nicotinic receptors on the the postsynaptic junction. This is an ion-gated channel which causes the influx of um, sodium and further depolarization of the cell. So this is what usually happens um, in a neuromuscular junction. So we can use drugs which can affect these. So coming here there are um, the depolarizing and the non depolarizing muscle relaxants. So the most common depolarizing muscle relaxant is succomethonium. This is again used in this concept of rapid sequence induction. Um, It's a very, very fast acting muscle relaxant within 30 seconds it works and it's usually um, cleared within seven minutes the way that this drug works is it binds to the postsynaptic receptor where acetylcholine usually binds and it causes depolarizing, depolarization of the um, cell however unlike acetylcholine, it's not broken down by acetylcholine esterase. So it it stays there for for a while longer, keeping the cell depolarized. So even if acetylcholine does try and come and bind and depolarize the cell, it cannot depolarize an already depolarized cell. So this basically hangs around for about seven minutes until it's broken down by pseudocholine esterase. There are a certain um, group of people in the population who are pseudocholinesterase deficient and um, it takes them a a little while longer to break down the suxamethonium. So these patients, you have to take the utmost care if you do decide to give them suxamethonium. Much more commonly, the non-depolarizing muscle relaxants are used and these competitively um, bind to the the acetylcholine receptors and block acetylcholine from from binding there. Um, So these are vecuronium, rocuronium and atricurium. Clinically, um, I've seen all three of them being used and they all do tend to have the same effect. Just one thing to point out about atricurium is that it can um, be a, a cause of bronchospasm. So you'd avoid it in a patient who's asthmatic. It also, um, a good thing about atricurium, however, is that it's broken down largely within the blood. So if you have a patient with um, liver or renal impairment, then it probably would be the drug of choice. Okay, moving on. So now we're going to talk a little bit about maintenance of anaesthesia and the drugs we've use. used. So um, to maintain um, anaesthesia we can use gases such as um, desfluorine, isofluorine and sevofluorine or we can set up a propofol infusion and um, it's commonly called ativa which means a total intravascular anaesthesia. So, talking a bit about the gases, deciding which one to use can be um, quite controversial. Each one has its own advantages and disadvantages. So, for example, with um, desflurane, it's quite, a, quite an irritant um, to the respiratory system, so you wouldn't use it in a, a chronic smoke or an asthmatic. But on the upside, there is an um, increased recovery and the patients do recover from it quite quickly isoflurane, the advantage of that is it's a very, very cheap drug to use. However, it does take quite a while to, to wake the patients up after they've been given that. And sevoflurane is probably the best of the three, but the main problem of this is it's a very expensive drug. Now, if you see um, next to each drug, there's a a MAC and a number, so MAC stands for the minimum alveolar concentration. And what this means is the minimum concentration of the vapor required in the lungs to keep 50% of men at sea level anesthetized and not responsive to a painful stimulus. This is um, demonstrated as a number, so you would always try to keep the MAC of a patient as being one. If it's more than one, then maybe it means that they're too deeply anaesthetized. If it's less than one, um, then they're probably quite light. When you're giving a patient the propofol infusion, there's no way of um, determining how deep or, or light they are using a MAC because obviously you're not giving them a, a gas. So what um, I've seen many anaesthetists do is use something called BIS monitoring, which stands for bispectral index. And what this is, is you stick EEG monitoring on the patient's forehead. This this computer analyses the EEG and gives you a number anywhere between 0 and 100 so in, in a normal, um, aware person, the, the monitor would show 100. In an anesthetized person, you want to keep the number between 40 and 60. If it's above 60, they're probably a little bit light. If it's below 40, you're using too much propofol. You don't need to use that much. So it's usually between 40 and 60 that we would use. So that's how we the drugs we use to maintain anesthesia. Moving on to the emergency drugs now, so intraoperatively, anaesthetists, we we tend to um, tweak the blood pressure and the heart rate to keep everything um, within a a kind of acceptable range, however at some points there are sudden drops or um, rises in blood pressure and heart rate, so now I'm going to talk about some of the drugs that we can use to, to combat these. Fine. So, if a patient has dropped their heart rate, but you're quite happy with the blood pressure, you can give an anticholinergic, such as atropine, glycopy or glycopyrrolate. If a patient has dropped the blood pressure, but the heart rate is okay, then you'd give an alpha agonist, which would cause peripheral vasoconstriction and increase the blood pressure. The most common one that I've seen being used is metaraminol, but you can also use phenyl as well if a patient has dropped the blood pressure and the heart rate, then you can give an alpha and beta agonist, which most commonly that I've seen being used is ephedrine. Okay, so this is when, when the blood pressure and heart rate have dropped. Sometimes the heart rate and the blood pressure increase, and what this usually means is that the patient is responding to the surgical stimulus. Um, so what you can do is give the patient some analgesia, so some paracetamol or some morphine. And that, this usually does control um, the blood pressure. If it fails to control the blood pressure, you can start using drugs such as beta antagonists, such as or esmolol, or an alpha-2 agonist, such as clonidine, just to reduce the blood pressure so now we're going to talk about the end of the operation and what we do so when the surgeons say okay we're finishing up now get the patient ready one of the things we need to do is if we've given the patient muscle relaxants we want to get them to start breathing spontaneously again so the drugs that we most commonly use are neostigmine and um glycopyrrolate. Neostigmine is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. So what that's going to do is stop the breakdown of acetylcholine, increase its concentration within the um, nerve terminal, and it can displace the muscle relaxants it also works on the cholinergic receptors so it can cause um, increased acetylcholine within within that area causing a drop in the heart rate so so we'd like to give an anticholinergic such as glycopyrrolate or again atropine for that okay so moving on post-op so maybe about 10 minutes before the patient wakes up we'd usually like to give them an antiemetic So um, the most common antiemetics um, used post-op, uh, cyclosine and ondansetron. And um, cyclosine is an H2 antagonist and um, ondansetron is a 5-HT3 receptor antagonist. Um, so these are given prophylactically as the operation comes to an end. And we usually prescribe, um, we prescribe these drugs PRN as well. So if the patient's still feeling quite nauseous after they've woken up, then we can give them this. Dexamethasone is more commonly used Pre-op, just before the patients, um, come into theatre, and this is a steroid. No one really knows how it works, but it does have um, anti-emetic properties. And finally, um, just a small bit on analgesia. Um, analgesia is his, ho- his whole big topic. Um for itself. And I will be um, giving a lecture on, on the management of um, acute and chronic pain um, from the anaesthetic point of view. But just very briefly, we can give opiates pre-op. As I mentioned, with the propofol, we, we often give fentanyl. We can give them intra-op. So again, monitoring the blood pressure, the heart rate. If we think the patient's reacting to the painful stimulus, we can give them some morphine, some paracetamol. Um, if there's no evidence of any reflux disease or um, renal disease, we can give them um, diaclifidol. Fenac as well. And post op, um, we can get we can prescribe the patient's analgesia of PRN. Um, just sort of oral or intravenous analgesia. We can set them up with a PCA, which is a patient-controlled analgesia, where there can be a background infusion of, for example, morphine or fentanyl, but they're also able to to push a button to give themselves boluses. And another thing that we can do is um, set up an epidural. The epidural is usually placed pre-op and used intraoperatively and post-op and carry on giving them usually fentanyl and bupivacaine. Thank you. Fine. So that completes my um, first lecture on the common drugs in anaesthesia. So what we've kind of run through is the the different drugs that I've personally seen being used um, very frequently um, in anaesthesia, looking at the induction agents, the agents we'd give um, to paralyze the muscles if we want to um, set the patient up on the mechanical ventilator, the drugs we'd use to keep the patient asleep, how we'd cope with um, emergencies if there's changes in the blood pressure and the heart rate and then post-op how we'd reverse the muscle paralysis and kind of management analgesia and antiemetics post-op. Um, so this is the first of my lectures, I'm going to be writing a few more lectures and um, About anesthetics. So, other things that I'm planning on covering is, um, Going through pain management, having having a closer look at that because we only went through it very briefly today. Um, going through the whole process of the anaesthetic, so pre anaesthetic assessment, the kind of steps we take um, intraoperatively um, from an anaesthetic point of view, in addition to the drugs that we've mentioned today, and post op, how we care for the patients post operatively. And I'd also um, going to write a lecture on the different equipment that we use in anaesthetics and the monitoring used there. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Shireen. Um, Thank you. We'll be back again with you soon, hopefully. Bye.